Welcome to the next in the Tech UK series of podcasts exploring topical issues and trends in the tech sector. I'm Susanna Baker and I'm Associate Director for Climate, Sustainability and Environment at Tech UK. And today we are looking at tech and climate um, and really through two lenses, uh, the energy and climate impact of the tech sector itself and then the role of digital technologies in supporting the transition of other sectors to net zero. Um, so first we're going to look at the thorny and often controversial issue of the tech sector's own impact. There are a lot of studies, models and estimates of how much carbon or energy uh, the sector, data centres, data and different technologies emit, but actually coming to a figure is surprisingly difficult to pin down. To help us make sense of it all, I'm joined by two experts in this space. Emma Fryer, who's Associate Director at Tech UK and is an authority on all things data centre. And George Camier from the International Energy Agency, who's been working to understand the tech sector's impact and recently spoke at our decarbonising data conference. Welcome to you both. Um, George, um, can I ask you to introduce yourself? Um, perhaps you can give us um, an overview for why it's so difficult to estimate um, the tech sector's impact. Great. Thanks, Suzanne. Uh, and uh, it's great to be here. So um, maybe a brief introduction. So I work for the International Energy Agency. We're based in Paris and we look at um, uh, across the energy sector. Uh, so uh, power systems, heavy industry, buildings, transportation. So uh, the ICT sector is really one part of a, a very large system of, you know, energy producing and consuming uh, sectors. So, uh, uh, I've looked, I've been looking at the ICT sector for a couple years now, um, mostly focusing on data centers, but um, also looking at data transmission networks, uh, devices. So, uh, you know, you mentioned this question about the challenge and in data and understanding the impacts. And it's uh, it's uh, surprisingly very difficult for this particular sector. Um, so first, there's a challenge of defining the sector. So what is the ICT sector? So of course, it includes data centers, data transmission networks, and you know computers. Uh, but increasingly, more and more devices are getting connected to the internet. So, you know, like connected televisions, does that, is that, should that be included in the ICT sector? Because traditionally, we've accounted for that in you know consumer electronics and um, you know entertainment and media sector so uh, and of course there's uh, production and disposal of those goods so should that be considered within the scope of those emissions uh, so it's really a challenge the other challenge is that uh, there's not as much transparency in the sector as, as well so uh, modeling for instance the global energy use of data centers is is very challenging um, so there was a paper published earlier this year in, in science which did a great Kind of bottom-up um, analysis of data center energy use globally, uh, but that took a lot of work, uh, various different uh, data sources, and um, I think the other challenge is that the sector is changing so quickly that uh, it's very hard to nail down uh, the exact numbers. But I think uh, I think we've got a great start uh, with um, leading academics around the world, um, and then hopefully more and more companies becoming uh, more transparent around the energy use and emissions. So Emma, um, how much do you agree with that pointer around transparency of the sector? Is the same? Is that true for all um, countries um, and bits of the the data um, and digital ecosystem? Uh, yes, I think I I agree in in uh, broadly because it's very very difficult to decide what a data center is, and nobody seems to agree. Is is a server a small server room on premise? Is that a data center? We'd probably say no. Other people would say yes. And then how on earth do you segregate the energy that that's using from the the, the energy the overall office is using because that isn't reported? Um, in the UK, um, the energy use of data centers is a lot more transparent because we actually measure and report all the energy down to the last kilowatt hour used by the commercial sector. So that's the co-location providers anybody who is providing data center services for a third party. But that doesn't include, for instance, a, a bank or, or a, a supermarket or someone else who, who keeps their data in-house. They're not obliged to report under this scheme. Um, so, so what we have is incredibly good data on part of the market. We think it's the majority of the market, um, but we can't be absolutely sure. And as I said, then where does 
where do you set the boundaries of that sector? So I, I do agree. And I think in the UK, we're probably unusual in the quality of data we've got. But as I said, it's only part of the market. So that's a, a kind of standardization and uh, data collection exercise really that 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 needs to be done on a kind of more global um, level. Um, can we say um, much around the trends within within the sector? I mean, are we moving in the right direction uh, and what things do we need to be mindful of, George? Yeah, so globally, energy use from data centers, uh, for instance, has been pretty flat for the last decade. So that the study um, in science showed, I think, a 6% increase in electricity consumption. It's around 1% uh, globally of global electricity use. And that's been flat, uh, like I said, over the, over the past decade, despite you know internet traffic increasing by more than 10 times, data center workloads increasing several times over. So. Um, you know, looking at other sectors as well, like in you know transportation or heavy industry, the the energy efficiency improvements that we're seeing in data centers are very impressive. So, um, you know, on one hand, the the growth in demand is is growing much quicker than any other sector um, because of the the lack of constraints, I guess, on, on the digital world. Uh, but surprisingly, I think and impressively, the, the energy consumption has been pretty flat. Um, so those are, are quite promising trends, uh, at least um, in, the, in recent years. And Emma, um, one often quoted study estimates that the sector is responsible for around 1.4% of global carbon emissions and around 4% of global electricity use. Now, even though we've seen this, um, I suppose, uh, lev leveling off of data and, and energy, um, we do know that data demand is going to grow even further. Can we maintain that trend or can we expect to see uh, energy use increase? That's a, it's a tricky question. So far, we've managed to accommodate sort of the explosion in digital data with um, increasing efficiency. So I think as George pointed out, over the last 30 years, the amount of energy it takes to process a given amount of data has decreased by about seven orders of magnitude. So if you'd applied that to say, um, flying to New York, it would mean you could fly to New York in probably a minute and a half and it would use like an egg cup full of fuel or something, you know, something like that. That'd be, you know, that, that, that it's a very, very big difference. Um, it's hard to predict the future because we are looking at explosions in digital data, but the efficiency gains, we can't guarantee that they'll continue at the same pace. I personally think there is a, a possible control mechanism in this because um, it's, a, it's a bit of a Jevons paradox. The cheaper and more efficient something becomes, the more we do it. So if we struggle in future to keep up in terms of efficiency and data centers start to um, start that the power use starts to escalate then there would be natural market instruments because then the things they're doing become less compelling and i, I so I'm, I'm making that argument rather simplistically i mean there'd also be regulatory impacts if anybody spotted that happening i suspect i don't know um george if you've got any thoughts on that but i do see there being a bit of a mechanism the reason that there's so much uptake is actually because the capacity is there and we can do it for the same cost and energy as we used to do much less before yeah, George, what do you what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, that that kind of aircraft example is really a, a great illustration of the the how quickly the efficiency is improving. And I think, yeah, I mean, as we develop, you know, faster technologies or or less uh, less costly technologies, or the costs come down, you know, we can see it in each generation of mobile networks, right? So, you know, with three G, four G, and and now five G, the the speed of data transmission improves. And of course, users are going to use that uh, technology differently. Uh, applications are going to be using that technology differently. And there's different um, developments that happen. And of course, you know, there's going to be uh, a usage of that new technology. So indeed, there's this like, you know, battle between uh, rapidly improving technologies, uh, improving speeds, improving costs, and then yeah, the, this demand that would would increase because of that uh, that trend. Um, and then I just wanted to add a point earlier. So I said global energy use is flat, but of course, 
um, you know, there's localized impacts, right? So, you know, there are some countries where data center operators, especially the big ones, are, are uh, attracted to because of cheap power prices, cooler climates, um, other reasons, stability. Uh, and those countries are experiencing very high growth in uh, energy use. So, you know, even though the global picture is, is one that's flat and, you know, it's largely because a lot of these traditional enterprise data centers are migrating to the cloud and hyperscale, and those are much more efficient, I think at the, the country level or maybe even the regional level, there could be um, quite dramatic impacts to the grid. So, um, you know, just because the, yeah, the global picture is one thing, uh, doesn't mean that some countries might uh, be facing certain challenges as well. Um, that's a, that's an absolutely fair point, um, George. Um, um, and you mentioned about the cloud and, and the kind of efficiencies that that is likely to be uh, gained from from using that technology. Um, but equally, um, you know, we are seeing quite a few studies um, and press coverage in recent years looking specifically at particular applications or particular technologies. So cloud gaming or video streaming, uh, mobile networks, or, or even more recently, um, AI. Um, so do you think that's the right way for us to be looking at the sector's emissions? Um, is that a warranted uh, and helpful approach? Uh, maybe I can ask um, Emma first. Okay, I think I maybe would take that question back and rather than looking at specific technologies, I would perhaps look at something more systemic and say, look at the business models. And I think we do have an issue with models that are prevalent in the in the, in the sector. Um, certainly for cloud services. So you have freemium and advertorial business models, which are amazing for innovation. They allow you to develop and test and try and, 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 and all those things with new technology. So they're, they're brilliant for that. Um, what they don't do is they don't give the end user, whether consumer or sometimes business, um, any indication or any signal of the carbon and energy associated with their internet consumption. So there's no signal being given. You know, you're not charged to put pictures up on Facebook. You're not charged to put videos up. Um, so those are the kind of things where somehow some of that information that I think we need to be responsible digital citizens is missing. And certainly I know that there are issues of transparency that some companies or customers need more transparency in, in those impacts. So I think it's, for me, it's more of a systemic problem mm -hmm. in terms of, of, of how we communicate, how we allow people to understand those impacts rather than specific, um, perhaps hotspots of specific activity. Because if you solve the former, then you can obviously identify what the latter are. George, do you agree? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a complicated question. There's a lot of uncertainties. There's a lot changing. There's a lot changing very quickly. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, there are researchers looking at these, you know, individual technologies, and that's, uh, I think, informative for, for looking at the big picture, as Emma said. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, there's, to, to any kind of digitalization trend, there's going to be direct impacts, indirect impacts, uh, third order impacts that are, are happening to the economy and, and more structurally. So just trying to quantify that is, is an incredible challenge. So, um, you know, I guess broadly speaking, we need to reduce energy use. We need to make sure the, the remaining energy use is powered by renewables, uh, low carbon technologies. And then, of course, um, to, to start investing in, in, in research and development so that we have even more efficient technologies uh, in the years ahead. Um, Emma, um, on that point, Emma, uh, you, you work really closely with um, data centres. Um, what, what sort of strategies are you starting to see uh, being adopted by those companies who are committed to net zero? Um, so we're seeing primarily um, the approach to renewables purchasing so and that's moving from so when I last polled the sector which was a few years ago over 80 percent of the electricity of the UK sector commercial sector purchased was certified renewables but now the larger companies are moving towards um, power purchase agreements so that there's actually um, what they're doing is is stimulating or funding um, additional utility scale renewable generation but those are 
not for the faint-hearted, <laughs> shall we say, and really only the largest companies are doing that. And we, we need to find some way of aggregating and, and also taking, uh, de-risking some of the longer-term issues with that, where, where the um, the length of those contracts extends beyond the customer contracts, which is what what, what what's providing a barrier. So that's one of the things. Um, all sorts of um, exploration of new technologies in terms of fuel cells, um, battery storage, those kind of things. But that's happening quite slowly and we need probably to see some stimulus to those supply chains, perhaps to make that more of a reality. Um, and then otherwise, in terms of sort of corporate governance, we're seeing a much greater interest within the sector um, in terms of becoming signatories to sort of uh, re 100 and um the, the, they're also looking closely at uh, science-based targets and actually we've got a session in a couple of weeks um, on exploring uh, how operators, you know, what that means in real terms for operators, what kind of actions they've got to take um, um, to meet the, the pathway that's been set out for them through the recent ITU JESI um, uh, GSMA initiative. So just in case anyone doesn't um, know or isn't familiar, RE100 is the collaboration of companies who are committed to moving to um, 100% renewable energy, right? Um, and um, George, does that chime with what you're you're seeing um, within the markets from, from the analysis you've conducted? Yeah, I mean, so looking across all corporations, uh, all, all corporates, uh, like Emma said, the, these, these tech sector, especially the biggest companies, the big data center operators are you know, some of the top uh, investors in, uh, in power purchase agreements for renewables. So I think last couple of years of data we've looked at, uh, they're accounting for about half of global uh, uh, corporate procurement of renewables. So that's a very large share. Um, and of course, I think four of the, the top 10 or five of the top 10 uh, last year were tech companies. So uh, they're making great progress on renewable procurement. And I think it's great to see some of them uh, go try to go even further. So, you know, it's one thing to buy 100% renewables to match 100% of consumption in a given year. But of course, you know, the wind uh, blows when it blows, uh, the sun <laughs> shines when it does. So, uh, and the data center is consuming electricity all, all day. So, uh, you know, companies like Google are looking at, you know, how do they match their demand, their data center demand with, uh, zero carbon uh, electricity that's on the grid. So either using machine learning to, to shift some of those uh, demands around, or shifting locations possibly, or better forecasting uh, the presence of higher shares of renewables. So those are kind of interesting um, prospects. Of course, uh, there's also supply chain um, uh, emissions. Uh, some companies are beginning to look at that. Uh, and of course, um, directly investing and, and looking at new technologies like energy storage, hydrogen, uh, and those things. Emma, perhaps you could just um, outline really the role that um, fuel cells and battery storage could play uh, within within the tech ecosystem in future. What would be the the, the kind of ultimate sort of direction of travel for, for data centers in the longer term? Um, yeah, really good question. I think the um, in the long term, where we want to see data centres is within the energy market. So not a large anchor user of electricity, but what you know actively participating in the energy market as a prosumer. Um, now, if you want to use fuel cells, you have to run them at the moment flat out. So the model we'd see is probably using um, fuel cells for about 80% 80, 80 of power and then using the grid as also having battery storage for emergency. So it'd be fantastic to get rid of all our diesel generators. I have to say, I will be delighted when that eventually happens, <laughs> um, <laughs> considering how much time and effort they, they involve. Um, and uh, and then essentially uh, the, the data centre is acting as a, as a balancing point and, and can engage in the energy market, but that's some way off. Um, but that is, I think, what, what good would look like eventually. George, if when we um, move towards more and more digitalization, what is your view on how it can be done as efficiently, as energy efficiently as possible? Yeah, again, a great question because uh, of all these uh, direct and indirect effects. So, you know, if we think of uh, digitalization of the transportation system, you know, uh, 
now that we all have, uh, many people have smartphones, uh, they're connected all the time, we can access things like Uber, uh, shared mobility services, uh, micro-mobility services, uh, and those are all kind of built on that platform. But of course, you know, looking 10, 15 years from now, perhaps when we have autonomous vehicles, if we ever have autonomous vehicles, you know, there's a, there's a risk that uh, those could actually re uh, increase energy use and emissions because uh, the cost of transportation becomes cheaper uh, and then people might be using them to do tasks that they would not have otherwise if they needed to drive or maybe people live further from cities because they're willing to, to commute longer distances because uh, now they have a, a chauffeur. So there's kind of risks, um, of course, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of benefits as well. So, you know, the thing I kind of talk about uh, a lot of times when we're talking about digitalization and energy is that we really need the, the climate policies, the climate and energy policies that drive the use of digital technologies to reduce emissions. So, you know, in a, I don't think digital technologies in themselves are silver bullets to saving our, our climate, you know, uh, in the next decade. I think there's a lot of potential there if we apply it in the right ways. But, you know, there needs to be the right incentives with the right uh, investments, market mechanisms, even the, the data center example that, you know, Emma brought up about, you know, participating in the energy and electricity market. Like if there's no price signal for, for data centers to participate in, you know, demand response, you know, there's, there's not as much incentive uh, to do that. So we need the kind of enabling environments either through climate policies energy policies kind of uh, market mechanism so that, um, you know, we're not, you know, for instance, extending the lifetime of coal plants with uh, IoT and machine learning. Rather, we use them for, you know, better predicting wind patterns so that we can integrate more of that into the grid. You know, if we have more electric vehicles, we can use them as demand response resources uh, with, you know, much more digitalization. So. Yeah, it's, I think it really hinges on uh, how governments come out and um, set up the, the enabling environment through, through policy that will see the technologies applied in the right places so that they can actually help to reduce emissions. Oh, I totally agree. Um, and Emma, um, you know, is there something specific you, you, would, you would ask for from the, the UK government um, in terms of its kind of regulatory approach to help the the UK data center sector reduce uh, their emissions, is there anything? Can you see a kind of an immediate role for for government, and what would that be? I can see two things, but they're both a bit tricky. <laughs> the first um, is, I suppose, to I mean, I think our biggest our biggest area of low hanging fruit in terms of immediate potential carbon savings actually don't sit within the data center industry. They sit in all those little server rooms and small on-premise data centers and distributed IT. And the single act of consolidating those into sort of purpose-built efficient outsourced facilities, not necessarily outsourced, but just purpose-built and efficient and consolidated, um, would uh, probably reduce energy use by two thirds. And if you applied a cloud solution, you might reduce energy use by 90%. And we reckon there could be as much as two terawatts per year tied up in those. So that is a lot of energy. Um, how you do that is another matter because there are all kinds of cultural um, behavioural issues. And um, uh, so not an easy one. And the other one's a bit of a cheeky one, a bit devil's advocate. But I think a lot of the time we, we do what I call the wrong things well sometimes. And, and we have a lot of data to subject to a lot of policy. Uh, so much policy that we spend an awful lot of time going through the act of compliance and that takes away um, resource from doing the right things. So I would perhaps love to see, and I don't think this will ever happen, so it's a bit of a pipe dream, I would love to see a more pragmatic approach where we actually do look at the policy outcomes uh, from policies in, in, a, in a more critical way and say, well, is this policy delivering any benefit whatsoever when applied in this capacity? And if it isn't, then maybe focus that effort on things that are delivering material benefits. Um, but I don't think government is going to listen to that for me. <laughs> George, <laughs> is there anything? <laughs> well, yes. Well, <laughs> Quite a difficult message to land. 
Um, and George, um, if I could maybe uh, finish up by asking the, the same sort of question. You talked around uh, financial incentives and the, um, the kind of uh, regulatory uh, environment. Uh, is there anything specific um, that you can pull out as, as uh, where you see there is particular potential? So I think, you know, there's been a lot of focus in the last couple of years, and I think the, the newspaper headlines kind of reflect this, that, you know, there's a lot of focus on the direct impacts of the ICT sector, so the energy use and emissions. Uh, but I think, to me, that's, you know, that's we shouldn't ignore that problem, but I think focusing too much on that distracts us from all these other sectors that we need to decarbonize very rapidly that are actually much harder to decarbonize. So if you take heavy industry, uh, or long distance transportation like aviation, those sectors are so much harder to decarbonize compared mm -hmm. to data centers, you know, which, you know, you can reduce uh, the electricity uh, carbon intensity, uh, build more renewables and, and uh, cut emissions that way. But in some sectors, there are, you know, there's a lot of innovation that needs to happen uh, over the next decades to, to have those low carbon options. So, um, you know, if you know, I'm assuming that there's a, a finite level of public attention and policy focus on all these sectors and all these problems. So uh, I think, you know, I, I applaud the tech sector and do, they're, they're doing all the efficiency stuff, uh, the renewables. Of course, they can do more. And I think they should uh, try to lead the pack in terms of the sectors. And it's great to see the SPP, uh, the science-based target um, set earlier this year. Uh, and I think there needs to be sustained effort on, on the direct impacts. But the bigger question is, uh, how do those technologies get applied in other sectors to reduce emissions in, in the building sector, in transportation, heavy industry, power, uh, oil and gas? So I think for that, there needs to be the, the really the, the overall climate strategy and policy of governments. So, you know, if governments come up with really strong signals about, you know, these are the targets we need to meet here, interim targets, um, and there's going to be prices on carbon or regulation. I think that really drives the use of those digital technologies to the right applications to reduce emissions. Because I think the, you know, let's say uh, energy and emissions uh, emissions impact of the ICT sector itself is like 1.5%, something like that. That's a, that's a fairly small number considering the services it provides. So we need to keep that low and, and dec declining. But I think the bigger question is, uh, what are the policies we need um, to, to reduce emissions in those those other hard to abate sectors. And George, that's an amazing segue into our next discussion. So thank you very much for lining that up perfectly for me. <laughs> Emma, George, thank you very much for your time today. I really enjoyed that conversation. Thanks so much. I'm delighted now to welcome a distinguished panel of experts to look in more detail at the role of digital technology in supporting the transition to net zero across the economy. We have Rafi Adelstone from Deloitte, Pete Cluttenbrock from Radiance, and Rich Hampshire from CGI. Can I briefly ask you to introduce yourself and talk a little bit about the work that you do? And uh, maybe if we start with Pete. Hi, I'm Pete Clattenbrock. I'm the founder of Radiance International, which is a consultancy focused on climate change. I'm also the co-founder of the International Centre for AI, Energy and Climate Change, which has been looking to support the adoption of AI in the climate space. And Rafi? Hi everybody, Rafi Adelstone. I'm an Associate Director in um, Deloitte's UK Sustainability Team. I lead for our team on the technology, media and telecommunications sector. And Rich? Hi everybody, um, I'm Richard Hampshire. I work in the day job with CGI in the energy utilities team here in the UK, uh, but work uh, with international colleagues as well. And I also have the privilege of chairing Smarter UK Energy and Utility Board. Thank you. So Tech UK has recently just launched a report exploring uh, the role of technology in supporting the transition to net zero, which we worked on with Deloitte. Rafi, um, what did your analysis for the report show you in terms of the potential of uh, digital technology in this space? Thanks, Suzanne. So a bit, a bit of context um, to the analysis. So um, 
we're talking about trying to looking to achieve the UK's net zero target by 2050. Um, and in order to, to achieve that, you know, technology plays an incredibly important role. Uh, and what we're looking at is how technology can achieve both environmental benefit, but also um, commercial and, and, and growth and economic benefit as well. And, and how technology, clean technology is a win-win um, for us as, as an economy and as a society. Um, we did our analysis uh, based on some previous work we've, we we led with Jesse, the Global Enabling Sustainability Initiative. They're a Brussels-based NGO. Uh, we published a report with them called Digital with Purpose last year, which looks at the impact of digital technology across all SDGs. And we look specifically for this this research at the impact of digital technology on uh, climate change and decarbonisation, specifically in the UK. Uh, and we engage with various Tech UK members to sort of test and find look at our analysis. Um, we focused on five. Um, sectors and five applications of digital technology. So we looked at the manufacturing sector, thinking about industry 4.0 and how um, digital technology is making things more efficient and effective. The agriculture sector, uh, agriculture sector thinking about precision farming and how that um, uh, both improves efficiency and reduces waste uh, uh, and energy use. Energy and utilities, we thought about smart grids. Um, I think Rich could talk a lot more about that. Um, mobility, we focused on intelligent traffic systems. And then buildings, we looked at smart buildings and the, the benefits um, of, those, uh, of those technologies. And what we found was that for economic impact, the sort of the big driver of, of economic impact across those applications is from manufacturing. Uh, we're going to see a really big increase in GVA on the basis of Industry 4.0, up, upwards of £13 billion to 2030. Um, and there's another billion pounds or so that we might expect in growth from GVA over that time from those other applications. When it comes to the environmental impact, that's a little bit more spread. Um, we, we projected that by 2030, through these five applications, we'll be looking to um, increase um, or sort of accelerate the reduction of our of, of our emissions as a, as, as a society, as the UK, by about 7 million tonnes. That's equivalent to the annual emissions of a country like Jamaica or Cyprus or Uruguay, just for, just for context. And the way that breaks down is the sort of biggest opportunity that we found for um, driving down emissions is in the energy and utilities, the smart grids and the opportunity that they, they represent. Manufacturing, agriculture, mobility, all another big chunk. And then buildings is a bit more difficult. And we know that heat from buildings is a really difficult problem that we need to fix to try and achieve net zero. So um, uh, we found, you know, we, we, we found lots of good examples and they're there in the report that we published alongside Tech UK's report as well. Uh, and thank you to everybody that contributed. Thank you, Rafi. I mean, were there any um, particular technologies that you got excited about when you uh, were doing the research? So I think the the exciting thing about this whole agenda is the ways in which different technologies come together. It's not quite it's not very easy to, to highlight one particular type of technology. It's about the application of connectivity with big data and AI with IoT devices monitoring and tracking what's going on that that really provide the power um, and where we're going to be able to see you know, multi layered um, uh, interventions that drive down um, emissions and, uh, and help us to, to make progress. Rich, you work in the energy and utility space. What role is digital playing in these legacy and infrastructure and heavily regulated sectors um, such as energy? And, and what what are, what insights from, from that work um, can be transferred perhaps to others? Gosh, broad question. Yeah. Um, let me see. I think digitalization is a much discussed word in the utility sector and in infrastructure more broadly. Indeed, it's one of the so-called four Ds, um, the others being decarbonization, which is obvious, the journey to, to net zero, decentralization, the means by which decarbonization decarbonisation of energy is being achieved and democratisation, the shift in power towards the consumer. But it's probably worth me giving my perspective on why digitalisation is so important and what's actually changing in the energy infrastructure. Whilst the laws of physics, what we're asking the electricity and gas infrastructure to do is and it's changing fundamentally, largely because of decentralisation being the means of decarbonisation. And let's not forget that other sectors are looking to decarbonise through electrification and replacing gas and fossil fuels with hydrogen 
where it's not possible to use electricity, which I think plays a little bit to Rafi's point about the significance and importance of moving towards uh, smart grids. This fund fundamentally means that our utilities and their infrastructures are on the leading edge of supporting the journey towards net zero. The changes in the dynamics of the use of energy is leading to increasing volatility and demand. Creating capacity constraints equivalent to what we're or what we experienced during rush hour on the transport networks and the intermittency of renewable generation that's removing carbon emissions from electricity is also creating price volatility as well. You can view these as challenges or as I do as opportunities. The reality is that to address the challenges and to access the opportunities, digital technology has a vital role to play. Greater visibility of what is happening in our utilities infrastructures is needed increasingly close to real time to enable effective operational decision making. That requires access to the right data and that data to be analysed in operational timescales, which opens opportunities for sensors, intelligent edge devices, connectivity to transport the data from where it's generated to where it's needed and where it will be analysed. But I won't talk to uh, what I think Pete is going to pick up on, uh, but advanced analytics will undoubtedly have a role to play here. Energy smart appliances will have a key role to play in making the benefits of a decarbonised energy system accessible to the majority of, of consumers, and they'll do that through, through increasing automation. This is why digitalization of the energy system is vital if we're to, to achieve net zero and to do that economically. As Suzanne highlighted, Tech UK's report on making, making the UK a digital clean tech leader, which was done, as Rafi has said, with Deloitte, identified that 15% of emissions reductions needed within the UK between now and 2030 can be enabled by digital technology that's already been deployed. Slightly over half of those reductions come from the energy and utility sector. And actually, if you include decarbonisation of buildings and transport, then that increases to about two thirds of those emission reductions. So digital technologies have got a key role to play and access to the data that those digital technologies produce and need to operate effectively will underpin a successful journey towards net zero. And Rich, I mean, I think you're, you're quite right. We've been hearing um, for many years now uh, around the, the compelling need for, for digitalization in our energy system if we're going to get to that net zero goal. Um, now, you mentioned the need to access data, and I think uh, it's well understood that that's a, a barrier at the moment to 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 realizing the, the the vision for the future energy system. But is it the only barrier? Um, what what other things do you think is is hindering uh, adoption? Um, and and how can we potentially go faster? Gosh, it's a big question, isn't it? <laughs> there is there is no silver bullet in my view. Um, ultimately, we need to take people with us. Um, people need to have confidence that when they're adopting technologies into their homes and particularly smart technologies, that those technologies are going to be secure. So cyber security has a key role to play. Um, and you look at some of the reports uh, that, that we're seeing all the time now around uh, data breaches and misuse of data. As organisations, we, we need to ensure that uh, we are clear about how consumers data will be used and, and more than that give them confidence in terms of what benefits they will get back from the use of that data or indeed that society will gain from the use of that data so we perhaps need to get smarter on uh, on data ethics and digital ethics pete turning to you um I, it's um the, the work that you're doing at the moment is very much focused around building momentum and support uh, around an international centre for AI, energy and climate. Um, 
why do you think it's needed and and maybe you can explain uh, the focus on ai absolutely and thanks very much for having me on this again i think perhaps first to say i think and i think the other um, people on the, on the call would agree the technology and ai specifically is not a silver bullet for the challenges that we face we need a whole suite of solutions a whole suite of technologies but also beyond technology we need policies we need finance to be lined up it's technology is definitely not the the, the only thing that we need to, to be pushing on. But that said, the reason I have been focused on, on AI specifically is that we've seen over the last 10 years advances in data science and, and deep learning that allow us to do things today that we simply couldn't do 10 years ago. Um, and these powerful new technologies will be not only important in, in the transition, but they may well be prerequisites. And Rich was talking very eloquently about the, the energy sector. And, and as a result of the transitions we're likely to see there, we're going to have a much more complex system with vast numbers of new assets coming on, whether it's demand side electric vehicles, storage assets, a whole range of different assets coming onto the grid, all of which will need much more intelligent systems to manage and, and optimize. Um, and that's where AI can play a, a really important role. Um, so over the last year and a half, uh, together with a, a team of, of colleagues working in the data science space, working in the, the various sectoral spaces that we care about when it comes to climate change. We've been talking to tons of people about what are the opportunities to apply data science and AI to climate related challenges? What are the barriers that make it harder than it should be to do it so at the moment? What are existing organizations doing at the moment? And really whether there's a gap in the institutional architecture needed to really drive progress forward in this space at the scale and speed required. Um, and what's been really interesting through those conversations is just the level of consensus. Um, consensus around the, the opportunities, not just in the energy space, but in, in uh, transport, in uh, land use, in industry, to apply some of these, these new technologies. And, and again, um, Rafi's right, it's not just AI, it is the combination of AI with better sensors um, and better um, control systems as well that allow you to make real progress in, in some of these sectors. And I think we're starting to see some early signs that um, these applications can make a real difference, but we're very much at the start of the journey. And I think what's been really interesting is the consensus that we've also heard that there are some barriers and challenges that, that make it harder than it should be to apply some of these technologies at the moment. And some of those are around data and data access and data quality and data standards. Um, often though, I think what the challenges are around policy and, and frameworks, the sectors that we care about when it comes to climate change are often some of the most heavily regulated where, where incentives are set in, in legislation and regulation rather than in um, by the market itself. So those create a whole series of challenges. And, and often as a result of those two challenges, um, venture capitalists look at the sector and say, it's a huge opportunity, huge potential, but it's quite a high risk for, for my investment. And so if you look at the amount of investment flowing into AI for climate versus FinTech or automotive or healthcare care, it's currently dwarfed. Um, and that's something we need to change. And, and what we're trying to do with the center is really think about how we knock down all of the various barriers to adoption throughout all of the sectors that we care about when it comes to climate change um, that will allow the UK to be a, a true leader when it comes to AI and climate change. And we're certainly seeing the emergence of a, a climate tech sector in its own right, which is being pretty much dominated in, in the US, but which there is a there is a chunk of activity with, within Europe. Um, so um, the kind of idea that we can we can foster our own slice of that pie within the UK, um, I think, is extremely um, important, um, particularly given the skills and expertise that we that we host. Um, and um, Rafi, um, one thing that we, we we hear quite frequently is that there is a risk that some of the efficiencies um, and uh, progress we can make through digital technologies can be weakened through what is called the rebound effect. Are you able to give us a, a little overview of what the rebound effect is? And, and really whether it's likely to make, um, you know, what kind of a difference it's likely to, to make to, to some of the um, uh, progress we, we can make here. Yes, so the rebound effect is a sort of economic and analytical sort of uh, term that references the likely reaction from the market to an efficiency. So when you're creating, when you inject an efficiency, you then 
expect an increase in volume of production. So in the same way, when it comes to uh, emissions, where as we reduce, improve the efficiency of what we do, reduce energy use, we then will expect um, greater greater volumes and this that's partly where the sort of the GVA and economic growth comes from so when we do these projections thinking about the future of um, of uh, decarbonization it's really important to consider what that rebound effect will be unfortunately the literature is not particularly conclusive on on, on forecasting what, what the rebound effect is likely to be uh, we sort of take a 50 percent um, view based on a couple of different um, reports and, and studies that we, that we think uh, are most you know uh, pertinent but it's a major, major issue that you know needs to be considered in, in each, for each different sector and each different geography and locality. And so that applies to efficiency, but perhaps does it apply to optimization and the, the role that digital technologies can play to, as Pete and Rich mentioned, to optimize systems? Does it yeah. express itself there? Absolutely. So you know, it's, you know, efficiency is a big word. It does a lot of work. Um, you know, when it comes to, you know, targeting interventions more effectively, the better you can target interventions, that means that we, the, you can do, you can make more of them, um, you can do more stuff. So absolutely, it's not just about reducing um, energy use, it's about practically being able to do more, uh, more right. work. On that, Suzanne, as well. Mm, yes. I think what, partly what the rebound effect points to me is, is that you, there's also a real need as well as increasing the efficiency of particular systems, whether it's the energy system or industrial systems, you also need to actually think about how you change the paradigm towards a much towards a net zero paradigm. So you're not just trying to increase the efficiency and reduce the emissions, you're actually coming up with completely new ways of, of um, putting energy into systems that is, is zero emission. Um, and that, that to some extent addresses the rebound effect. But also I think you need policy to address the rebound effect. Um, so actually you, that's why you need, for example, phase out of internal combustion engine um, targets and and similar kinds of, of policy approaches such as that. Great point. And I think um, I mean I mean Rich and and you, Pete, have mentioned the importance of policy. Um, if you were to identify, you know, maybe three things that government can do tomorrow that would support um, and um, in, uh, accelerate the adoption. Uh, towards net zero systems, what would they be? Um, Pete, maybe I can turn to you first on this one. Well, and I have a, a bit of an interest, but and I'd probably start with saying they could fund an international centre for AI, energy and climate change as a, a start. Um, but I think, generally thinking, speaking, I think there is a, a genuine interest in the UK in making the UK a leader in this space. And with COP26, the International Conference on Climate Change coming up next year, there's a real platform for them to do so. Um, I think otherwise, I think continuing to come out with wider policy frameworks. So we, we're still slightly waiting to see what's gonna happen with the energy white paper and the industrial strategy um, and wider frameworks for policy, which will inform and shape specific interventions on technology. Um, but ultimately, I think the, the doubling of spend for R&D that we've already seen commitments to will provide opportunities to make real strides on climate tech and I think if we can channel a lot of it that R&D into climate tech we could see huge gains. I think you're absolutely right that there, there definitely seems to be a kind of turning of the tide and an awareness of the potential of uh, digital tech to meet our climate goals. Um, I think this is being built into some of the thinking on the AI roadmap um, and uh, DCMS is currently thinking about it in the context of the forthcoming digital strategy. Um, and of course, we've got the Committee on Climate Change's uh, advice to government in its for its sixth carbon budget expected in December, which we we, we are expecting to, to reflect for the first time on the, the role of digital technology. So I, I think eyes are, are starting to open. Would you agree with that, Rich? And, and maybe I can uh, go back to the question that I asked Pete around really what are the three things you think are, are needed um, to start to accelerate deployment? Yeah, happy to answer that. So, so we've talked about policy and getting policy right, I think is key, um, but policy needs to be supported by, by action. So things like getting the right standards in place, both technical standards and commercial standards. Um, I think Pete, I think it was Pete talked a, a little bit about the investor community confidence. 
but there's then for me something around addressing the market barriers and understanding what the market needs to have confidence that the market will itself be efficient how mm. can the markets be facilitated um, and just jumping back to my comment on standards you know when people buy things there's nothing more frustrating than finding it's incompatible with what you've already got or finding that something can't be supported when you buy something new so the idea of backward compatibility and designing for forward compatibility need to become uh, embedded in people's thinking so absolutely and i think the the the, the call is for for government uh, trade associations standard organizations and individual businesses uh, to to really step up, so something for all of us. <laughs> and Rafi, um, maybe um, uh, I don't know if you had any insights from your analysis to to what Rich were, uh, was just talking around that kind of conducive um, in, um, environment for for technologies to enter into. Um, is that what you can see from those technologies um, that are already starting to to fly in the market? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the word here is partnership. Um, the only way in which we're going to realise the ambition of net zero is is through collaboration across sectors. And, you know, the technology sector has the role to play to drive that. You know, every other sector in the economy relies on the enabling power of the techno of technology. Um, and that is the that's the only way we're going to realise the target. And I think, you know, it's a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous challenge, but it's also an incredible opportunity. You know, Mark Carney said, you know, we have the great, it's the greatest challenge ever, but it's also the greatest commercial opportunity ever. And I think that's absolutely true. Um, and so, you know, I'm very excited, you know, to be focused on working in this space and, and, and obviously keen to, to continue to collaborate with UK and everybody in, in driving forward this agenda. Uh, I think that seems like a, a fitting uh, note in which to uh, close down the discussions, although I'm sure we could have uh, talked for longer. Can I thank you all for joining us this uh, morning to um, discuss this important issue? Pete, Rafi, Rich, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks, Suzanne. Thanks, everyone.